You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. I'd like to begin with a story I heard on a TED Talk this week. Um, One day, Jay McDowell was returning home from a fishing trip. Man, for my own heart there. He had gone kayaking on the river, and he gets home, and he looks in the mirror, and he sees that his skin is yellow, and his eyes are yellow. And so he immediately goes to the doctor, tells his wife, and goes to the doctor, and while he's there, he gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It's an aggressive cancer. And, and he doesn't get to go home. They take him into surgery and they, they, do, they remove some of the cancer and they begin uh, aggressive chemotherapy to counteract this. And he says in his TED Talk that when you get this diagnosis of cancer, you can really get mired or bogged down in sadness. It's easy to get stuck in your despair to be thinking about your loved ones who are at home, who you might be leaving behind and how painful it will be for them. Or to think about the dreams, the things that you were going to accomplish that now are in jeopardy. And so in this TED Talk, he's sharing about what he did to get unstuck, he, to get out of the sad space or the fearful space, he called it. He said, the most important thing you need to know is you need to know your why. Your why you get up every morning and fight this fight. For him, his why was his family, his wife and his son Jack. His why was to to be able to see his son grow up. Knowing your why can be the sustaining hope in the midst of this cancer diagnosis and, and um, difficult, exhausting chemotherapy. And today we're going to talk about the power of why. Because I think in our passage today, in First Peter, God, Peter, is telling the early Christians the why behind the suffering that we've been talking about the last few weeks. So thank you again for choosing to worship with us here at Cedar Hills Community Church. I'm Steve Poole, the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries. And um, today we're continuing our sermon series on the book of First Peter. We're going to be in chapter 5, looking at verses 6 through 11. So you can start turning there if you'd like to. Get out your devices and, and turn there. Um, just to summarize, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Kent has been walking us through chapter 4. Some of his, the key ideas from last week were that we are God's people. We are people who don't deny suffering. And we are people who don't waste suffering in our lives. That God has a purpose and in finding that purpose we can can find joy and peace. And I think even more we learn about the why here today. Knowing our why is so important. Uh, Simon Sinek, if you've heard of him, he he did a TED talk that went viral a while back. I know when I was still a teacher, I saw this one. It's about how advertising and companies, they know their why. Apple, they sell you the why, not the what. They sell you the why. And it's so important in business and in your daily life to know 
your why. In youth group, we've been, we're doing a series from Dare to Share about being able to share our faith. And we talked about knowing the why behind sharing our faith with our friends. We talked about, um, <clears throat> about Harriet Tubman and how she knew her why. She escaped slavery and then she went back to, uh, to help other slaves get free through the, through the Underground Railroad. And she put her life on the line and she risked it because she had a great why to see her family, to see other people like her freed from slavery. Whether it's soldiers fighting in war who know their why, or athletes, I don't know why that fascinates me because I enjoy watching professional sports, uh, but somebody like Tom Brady, I've looked at his, his, his training regimen, and do you know that he knows what he's going to eat months in advance? Everything he's going to eat today, he put in plan months ago because he is serious about his training because he knows his why. His why is he wants to be the best quarterback Ever. He wants to rewrite the record books and be playing quarterback way longer than anybody ever has. And that is his why. And so his life is changed. And every day he attacks his life knowing his why. Knowing our why is powerful. The Bible even talks about Jesus, our example. Jesus knew his why. In Hebrew 12, 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Scorning the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, when he came to earth, he took on flesh. He served humanity. He even took our sins upon him at the cross. The Father, he says to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those moments, he was sustained because he knew his why. His why was one day he would stand with the keys to death and the keys to Hades and declare victory, to say, it is finished. Jesus had a hope that his people could believe in him and have eternal life, be saved from the consequences of sin. And that glorious why is why He endured even the cross. So brothers and sisters, I think we need to know our why. As we've talked about suffering in our lives, why can we have joy and hope? And I think a great answer to that question is here in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's go ahead and get ready. We're going to read uh, chapter 5, 6 through 11. If you haven't turned there, you can go there now. As we get ready to read, I want to offer this simple prayer for you. The Lord be with you. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that these same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think in here we see the why. My, my key verse would be 1 Peter 5, 10. Here is it from the message paraphrase. The suffering won't last forever. Amen? The suffering won't last forever. 
It won't be long before a generous God who has great plans for us in Christ Jesus, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and back on your feet for good. He has the last word. Yes, he does. Brothers and sisters, this is that victorious hope that we have in the midst of suffering to say the suffering won't last forever. It says for a short time. So if you're here today and you're watching online and and during this pandemic you've lost a loved one, the suffering won't last forever. If your loved ones are sick and you're not sure the suffering of death won't last forever, If you're here or you're listening online and you've lost your job and you don't know what's next, the suffering doesn't last forever. If you've lost friendships because your friends are so concerned about the the health of their family that it's hard to communicate with them, you, you can't have them over, they're not having you over, it feels like you've been abandoned, the suffering doesn't last forever. If you feel like you've lost hope in our society, you've lost hope in humanity, the suffering doesn't last forever. I'm going to have a helper come up with a quick illustration to help us understand the idea that the suffering doesn't last forever. I saw this illustration. um, Why don't you grab that in there and pull it out a little bit. Um, I think it was probably from Louis Giglio. Um... Just, keep, just walk it down. I think it'll keep stretching for the most part. Imagine that this rope here, it's going to be longer than our sanctuary is. This rope here is eternity. It's not really long enough, right? Because <laughs> eternity is forever and this has a beginning and an end. Let's imagine this right here. This rope represents all of time, eternity. I could take right here with my marker and put a tiny little mark that you probably can't even see from the back, this tiny little mark on this long rope is all of human existence. All of humanity's suffering, all of our victories, all of, all of humanity could be this little dot in this rope that goes all the way from here to the end of the church, goes around town. The rope doesn't matter how long it is, but all, when compared to eternity, this is humanity suffering. So when it says our suffering is short, our suffering is short because we have a great God who invites us to eternal life with him. A new heaven, a new earth is coming where we'll have forever, where there is no death, there is no suffering. We can be with him. And this is the glorious hope that we can have even in the midst of suffering. Thank you. I'm going to read 1 Peter 5.10 again. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I want to talk about those four words a little bit. I was looking at the Greek a little bit. Um, And they're all four verbs. So they're things that God's doing, things God's doing to us and in our lives. The first word, restore, I'm not even going to try to say Pronounce it in Greek because it's all Greek to me. (laughs) Low-hanging fruit with that joke, right? (laughs) But the definition is to complete, prepare, repair. Uh, 
I, I was most interested that the word mending used in the Gospels, Peter was a fisherman before he followed Jesus, and it says in the Gospels that one day when Jesus came up to them, they were mending their nets. That's the same word Peter has written here for what God will do in our lives. God will mend us like a fisherman mends a net. It also means equipping, restored, made complete. The second word there, confirm, is to make stable, place firmly, or set fast, or fix. I was wondering about confirm, how it fits in here. I was thinking, contextually, in our, in our country, we just confirmed a, a justice, right? The Supreme Court justice. They get confirmed. They don't have to run for office again and again. They get established. They get set in place. It's a similar idea here. This is maybe more lasting even than that. I always think also about the adoption idea, that we get adopted into Jesus in the family of God when we believe in Christ Jesus, as the Bible says, and we get this confirmed, we get it set in place as one of his children. The third word there, strengthen, is strengthen. It's only used once in the Bible, and it's right here. Um, And the fourth word is establish. It means to lay a foundation for. So just like Jesus talked about building your life on a firm foundation the firm foundation is god and he is laying that foundation under us and will ultimately provide the eternal foundation when jesus christ returns so we could translate this so the god of all grace who has called you and i to his eternal glory in jesus will mend us complete us restore us and set us fast Strengthen us and give us a firm foundation. This is amazing news in the midst of our current climate and culture, in the midst of a pandemic and a derecho. It's good to know that God will mend us, strengthen us, confirm us, and establish us. This is the kind of hope that we have, a victorious hope that sustains us in the midst of suffering. This is the why. Why can we go through suffering with peace and with joy? Because we know that on the other side, there's eternity with God. So there's another side to this section that we just read. It's got some very specific instructions for us. How do we live out this victorious hope? Well, the first one is this, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. And in conversation with with Pastor Allen about this, we had a good conversation about how humbling ourselves actually happens a little bit in suffering, right? One of the biggest ways to get knocked down a peg in our own mind is to suffer. Because when the derecho hit, I learned I wasn't in control of everything, right? I wasn't in control of whether my house was going to have damage or not. It was in God's hand. When we, we, in the midst of a pandemic, we realize things we hold on to say, I control this. We realize it's not really all in our control and we're humbled a little bit. But I think the call here is also to humble ourselves, to to lean into, to choose into this humbled spirit. In verse 5, we didn't read, it talks about putting on humble, putting on humility, kind of like clothing. One of the uh, preachers I, I saw who talked about this today as I was doing research, he said, it's like in the morning when you go to your closet, you need to pick out the humble from the back, spray a little of that on there, right? So you get that smell of humble on you. But it's kind of funny, but it's the idea is every day we're choosing humility. And of course, Jesus is our example. It says in Philippians 2, we studied Philippians already this year. Philippians 2, 5 through 9 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death, death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. And I love how when we are called to humble ourselves, it comes with that same promise. Jesus humbled himself and now is exalted. It says in verse 6, humble yourself so at the proper time when Jesus returns, we will be exalted with him too because we are in Jesus Christ. That's our new identity. I was kicking out a lot of examples about this, but my best example for humility is probably this morning. I came in and I had this twine I was going to put down the middle and I wrapped it all around here, uh, but it was, it really blended in with the floor and you couldn't see it and it stuck up the ground because the the coil in it like this much and it was tripping people and somebody in the back said, "Uh, Steve, I don't think that's a good idea. And in that moment, I had to choose to swallow my own pride. I really want to say it is a good idea. It's my idea. But because I was willing to be humble and submit to the advice of other people who have really good ideas, I was able to have this cord, which worked way better. It was more visible. We have to choose humility every day and every moment. And and it's not easy because of our own pride. And then I talked about uh, confessing my own pride. And then later I, I tripped coming off the stage. And so... Get some more of those stories. If you confess your pride, God will give you a chance to practice humility even more. So I hope you don't have to experience that. Uh, Secondly, in this chapter, it's talked about in verse 7, cast your anxiety on God. So, okay, humility is countercultural and different. How about casting our anxiety on God? Being... A youth pastor, I, I try to keep up with, with culture and teenage trends and things like that. And the studies all say that this younger generation is the most depressed and most anxious generation that's come through. That's what they say about themselves. That's what the, the studies are showing. So how does this truth relate to you and to I and to our kids? When, G, when God says in his word, cast your anxiety on him. When we're in a pandemic and Anxiety is spiking for everyone across the board. How do we cast our anxiety on God? Well, first of all, I want you to know that I don't think this is saying that, that if you believe in God, you'll never be anxious again. Like, I don't think that's a, that's a true statement. I think it's more a posture of what we do with our anxiety. It's saying when you feel anxious, instead of holding on to it and trying harder and saying, I'll do better, God, saying, I'm going to give it to you. Having, being open-handed with your anxiety and say, God, help me in this moment. Help me today with my anxiety. That's why I think in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This imagery, this yoke, was you take two oxen and you'd put them together and they would pull the heavy burden. They would pull the plow. Well, when you are yoked with Jesus, he does the heavy lifting. When you feel anxiety and you give it to God, he does the heavy lifting of taking care of that. It's not a call to never be anxious, but it's a call to always give that anxiety to the one who has big enough shoulders to carry it. And that is the creator God of the universe. 
So in my own life, I can share, and maybe some people relate to this, you wake up early like four o'clock and you, you feel, you're thinking about the anxiety of the day, right? You're worried about something, a big meeting, something like that. You wake up four o'clock and can't go back to sleep. And I've had a couple of those now since the pandemic started. And, and when I, I get that, um, I usually find the best thing I can do instead of going through it more and more and re- mentally rehearsing this event or something that I'm nervous about, instead of doing that, if I quote a scripture or I say a prayer or I even sing a worship song, there's something that happens in you when you're singing a worship song, even if it's in my own head to God, it helps me cast my anxiety and give it to him, the one who can carry it for me. So I'd encourage you this week as you're thinking about anxiety to be willing to be bold enough to do that. Three, um, be watchful. We have a lion-like enemy. That's in verse eight. I think a big takeaway from this is we talked about already when we did Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six, but we need to know that we are in a world that there's a serious and spiritual battle going on all around us. And it's so easy. In fact, I think one of the biggest temptations that Satan tries to do is get us convinced that the spiritual realm has no influence on us. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to worry about it. The call here, I believe, is that we as Christians ought to live with an urgency. We have to know our why because we are in a battle. And there's a real enemy who wants to Uh, thwart God's good plans for this world, who wants to make us ineffective as Christians with the goals that God has for us and keep us in this anxious, depressed existence. Four, resist the devil and stand firm. I think the standing firm is so similar in language to that Ephesians 6 passage where it says, just stand. Resist the devil. I think the great promise there is that when we resist the devil in the name of Jesus, that there's power not in us, but in him and in his name. So we can stand up and declare the truth. We can speak the word of God and even demons, even Satan has to respect that. They have to respect the name of Jesus because they know his power. And Satan, he is the father of lies. So he wants to get us to be ineffective as Christians. He wants you to believe that you're not good enough so you don't live into the call God's placed on your life. He wants to convince you to compromise your lifestyles, the call that God has placed on us to be holy because of your own selfishness and then render our witness ineffective. Where Satan gets us focused on our, our own selves and our own issues that we lose track of God's call to justice, to helping the poor, the widow, the outcast, the orphan. And when we focus on those things instead of God's call in our life, Satan wins. Jesus came to give life and life abundant, but Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I want to talk a moment about some applications. I think it's always important to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. These are not all inclusive. Hopefully the Spirit's moving in your hearts and minds, giving you some specific things you can do. But here's a couple ideas from me. One, know your why. I think one of the great ways you could do is you could go home today and you could memorize 1 Peter 10. You could memorize it in whatever translation you like. Even that the way it was written um, in the paraphrase, the message paraphrase was great. Memorize that why, so when you're tempted to be anxious, you can speak the truth of God against that anxiety. When you're tempted in suffering to despair, you can speak the truth that this is for a short time, but we have hope. We have a God who's going to mend and restore us. 
2. Um, this is such a short amount of time to talk about any of these issues. I'd encourage you to do a devotional reading plan on humility or on casting your anxiety on God. So I linked two of them. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, it's a free app, free subscription. You can go to it. Um, if you go to our um, website or to our app and you go into the um, uh, bulletin, you can find the link. One of them's called Facing Anxiety, and one of them's called Walking in Humility. They're like five to seven day plans that will walk you through the scripture with some extra devotional material to think about what does God say about anxiety? What does God say about humility? Because ultimately, this is a real short amount of time to do with any of those issues, and we want to have more of God's word speaking his truth into our lives. And lastly, I'd encourage you, this would be a really great way to deal with some of the anxiety in your life, is to every day, every morning, every evening, to write down what are you anxious about this week. Maybe there's a big test coming up, there's a meeting at work, maybe there's a, a health concern, you're going to the doctor on Thursday, on Tuesday, a family member, there's something causing you anxiety. Write them down specifically and pray for them. Do this with a, bro- with a loved one. Do this with a brother or sister in Christ, with your husband, wife, your children. Do it together. Because I think one of the ways God answers that prayer when we call out, God, help me with my anxiety is to bring a brother or a sister beside us. Because we are his hands and his feet. We are all part of the body of Christ. So when God activates us to move and encourage someone, please be willing to do that. This week, you can be the one to, you can be the answer to someone's prayer about the anxious thoughts that they're dealing with if you can come beside them and encourage them. Let's go ahead and, and, and pray and wrap up this, this time together. God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you for this victorious hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I thank you that you took on flesh. God with us, Emmanuel, and you came to earth and you served us and you submitted even to a death on the cross. And you took on all of our sins. And you took on all the death, all those consequences of sin. And you died for for me and for everyone in this room and for this whole world. But it didn't end there. You had victory over it. You rose again. And that you say, if we believe in you, if we trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he did those things, that we can be saved. If we confess our sins and say, God, I'm sorry for the ways that I mess up, and I want to live for you. I want to follow you, Jesus. I pray that if there's anybody here or online who hasn't done that, I pray that you do that. Right now, it's simple. It's easy. You just believe those things. Talk, if that's you, just talk to a loved one. Put in the messages. Talk, come talk to one of the pastors. We'd love to, talk, to explain more about what it means to be a Christian, to believe and to have this glorious hope. Father, I pray for our loved ones, our brothers and sisters, our aunts, our uncles, our neighbors, our co-workers who don't have this hope. God, I can't imagine what going through times like this is like without the hope of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your, your love and your hope would shine brightly in these dark times, that people would be bold to share the truth of why they can have hope and joy and peace even in suffering. Father, I pray as we, as we get ready for um, the Lord's table and remembering this sacrament that you'd help us prepare our minds and hearts 
for this time of remembering you and what you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.